Okay, I have 6.30. Let's get started. Try to be respectful of your time. Would you all pray with me, please? Father, you are such an awesome, incredible, powerful God. You created this whole universe. You created each one of us. You created this beautiful planet to live on, and you created us to be in relationship with you. We were created in your image, and we thank you that even though we sinned and rebelled, you gave your son to die for us so that we could have that restored relationship. I do pray that you'll be with us this evening. I pray you'll give me the words and my preparation will have been good. I pray our discussion will be good, that we'll all try to learn something, encourage one another, and also help us to be gracious in case we disagree with something. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, it's great to see everyone. I think most of you know I teach at the Air Force Academy, and when I teach a class, I always start my class with the word of the day. And today's word were two of my favorite words, so I thought I would share them. It's steatopigia and pulchritude. Is that anyone? What's pulchritude? Beauty. Beauty, comeliness. What's steatopigia? Weird word. The idea is fat on or around the buttocks. <laughs> fat on or around the buttocks. And if you look at the definition, it says especially prevalent among the koi koi in Africa. Because among the koi koi, steatopigia is a mark of great beautiful tapestry of language. So, just to say that, I love it when I go to Africa and they tell me I'm looking very. And well, and one of the reasons I, I mean, I love those words, but also culture is really important. What beauty in one culture is not necessarily beauty in another culture. What the culture was like 3,000 years ago is not like the culture it is today. So we always have to keep that in mind. Remember that. So we're talking about lesson three is God sexist or affirming, and you recall. Quick review of the last two weeks. First week was basically just an introduction. So I talked about why I was teaching this class, how God gets criticized, the Old Testament often gets ignored, criticized, there's difficult stories in the Old Testament. How do we understand those? We looked at how the New Testament authors and Jesus viewed the Old Testament, and they viewed it as the Word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. Jesus quotes from it a lot, alluded to a lot. And then we talked about how the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to someone else. So understanding that culture is really, uh, to me, a main fundamental step of biblical understanding is to recognize we can't bring our Western biases, which makes it hard. Sometimes you have to study and learn, and commentaries are good, and people who study them more are really good. So that was sort of the motivation for this class. Last week we talked about, is God angry or loving? <clears throat> and we saw there are a lot of examples where God got angry in the Old Testament, no doubt about it. But in all, we didn't look at all of the incidents, but the ones we looked at, he always got angry for a good reason. And it was usually over something like injustice or oppression or unfaithfulness. And he was usually very patient. And he didn't get angry until the fourth time or the fifth time or after lots of disobedience. So God is described as being slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness many more times than he's described as being angry. So that was last week. Today we're talking about is God sexist or affirming, and next week we'll be racist. So that's sort of where we will be going the next couple weeks. And we also talked about Jesus got angry. So you, so well, Jesus was just this loving, peaceful, happy guy. You know, he got angry. He got a number of times he got angry. Okay, so I did a quick Google search: Is God sexist or something like that? And you get lots of hits when you do that. So I found a lot of blogs. What are your favorite examples of sexism in the Bible? That was one discussion thread I discovered. There was this website here, Sex in the Bible, chapter and verse. Uh, what are your some miso misogynist Bible passages? And I like this comment. All of them. <laughs> the whole Bible is sexist, misogynist. Five awfully sexist quotes from the Bible that every person should read. And then there's Wikipedia, this is rational Wikipedia, so it's sort of an option of Wikipedia. Biblical sexism, a whole article on, and a lot of these talk about sort of the same incidences, and we'll talk about some of them. We're not going to be exhaustive on every criticism, but big picture, a lot of the criticism is coming from a 21st century view of things, and not what it was like back then. 
Okay, so why do you think someone would make the claim that God is sexist? This is the discussion point. Yeah. Because they don't want to look at themselves in the mirror and not apply it. Most people are have issues with those topics, and so they don't want to come to grips and look at it and say, that's me. So they'd rather just say the Bible's wrong, and I'm just going to go out and look at it. Okay, Bible's wrong, Bible's sexist, so I don't have to deal with it. Anyone else? Any stories you think people would say, well, that's sexist, or laws that are sexist? Because he is a he. Because he is a he? What yeah. do you mean? God is, God is described. God is given a male pronoun? Yeah. He's also called a chicken. <laughs> he will protect us with his feathers and wings. That doesn't mean God is a chicken. So I wouldn't put a gender on God, personally. But it also, I'll put a male pronoun for God, sure. What else? Jesus had 12 apostles, and they were all male. Yeah. Is that, so that must mean he was sexist. Yeah, you look at his whole life, I don't think so. But that would put potential. What, what else? Old Testament complaints or criticisms? Uh, a lot of people say that um, I wasn't created from your rib or whatever. You know, like the women have the shirt. Okay, so the women are submissive because they were created from Adam's rib. They are secondary. They are less important. They are secondary humans, if you will. Alternative view is men were the rough draft and they finally got perfected on the second one, but a different way of viewing it. But yes, that is a criticism. We'll look at that one. Anyone else? Criticisms, why God is sexist. Polygamy was never condemned. Polygamy wasn't condemned. Slavery wasn't condemned. That's not really a sexist thing, but again, within the culture. Well, we don't talk a lot about slavery, but but again, he it's not condemned. Yeah. The scripture that says, God is the head of Jesus. Jesus said, a man, man is the head of woman. Okay, what does that mean to be the head? And we'll talk about some of those verses. Other ones. How about you have to marry your rapist? Some people make that claim. We'll look at the verse that talks about that. Okay, so people have criticisms. We're not, again, this isn't going to be exhaustive, but we're going to look at some things. So what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Genesis and the first woman? Throw out some things. She screwed up. She screwed up. <laughs> what else? Yeah, but so did Adam. Okay. The but, the, but, the, <laughs> but the first thing you think of often is Eve screwed up. Eve ate the apple. What else? I think it's interesting that Adam named Eve. Adam named Eve? And what does Eve mean? Mother. What does Adam mean? Just means man. Just means man. So again, if you want to discuss Adam and Eve more, attend my Genesis class two years ago. <laughs> but we're not going to get into some of that stuff now, okay? So, we think Adam screwed up. What else? When you think of Eve in early chapters of Genesis. And she's only really mentioned in the first three chapters, right? She's not mentioned later in the Bible. God missed combination with pain and childbirth. Okay, pain and childbirth comes to mind. Wonderful. Anything else come to mind with Eve? Easily deceived. Pro yeah, easily deceived, screwed up. Those are the most common things that one first thinks of. But let's look at first time Genesis 1, 26 to 20. I need someone to read. Volunteer. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and for all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, what observations can we make from here about women <coughs> and men? God created both of them. Yep. And sometimes we see, let us make man in our image, but it really is mankind. It's talking about humanity in that word there. And you can see that he created them, male and female he created. So we clearly see it's not just he created man in his image and then woman came along, who knows what she is. It really is humankind here. Other observations? So He had a plan. He said he blessed them and said go and be fruitful and increase. So okay. that wasn't something that was by accident. He blessed them and said be fill the earth, be fruitful, increase. Rule over the fish in the sea. Okay, so we have planned. He had a, a task for them, if you will, a purpose. So one thing I wanted to point out here is, again, this is all mankind, they, in our image, in our likeness. In his own image of God, he created them. 
And he said to them, he, this is the Adam and Eve, this is the both of them. And this is really remarkable in the ancient Near East. No other creation story is humankind created in the image of God. In other stories, they are created to serve the gods. That's why men were created in other creation stories. So this is a very different thing. Let's make some observations here. First of all, four times in the text says God says that humans were made in God's image. So it's humans, not just man, it was humans. This other line came from the book, and I liked it, so I thought I'd share. Women are godlike. Men are too, but most already think this. <laughs> and again, that was a direct quote from the book, and I thought, okay, the author can be funny. But mankind being made God is definitely unique in the ancient Near East. And in other creation stories, man was created to serve the gods. So being, being created in God's image is really a remarkable standing for men and women. There's no hierarchy here. Okay, so let's look at Genesis 2. Uh, someone want to read this? I can read this one. It's the only verse. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So can the accusation of sexism be levied against the description of woman since she is made as a helper? No, because she's helping her husband, to say. And not he's out there. He's out there providing for her. Okay. Any other? Yeah. Are we going to continue? I no, that's all. Okay. He doesn't say description of a woman as a servant for the man. Okay. As a helper. As a helper, not a servant. Yep. I Mike? think it's implied. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, quiet, please. Mike is saying something. I think it's important to ask the question, does sexism exist to God? Because if it doesn't, then it's irrelevant what we think. Well, it's definitely, the, the issue is, it. It definitely is part of our society and culture. I think, right? And There's a lot of things that are part of our yeah. That doesn't mean, but they blame. Often they blame God. They blame the Old Testament. <laughs> but we need to have responses to that when they say, "Oh, God is sexist because of X, Y, Z." I want us to say, "No, because of A, B, and C." Thank you. Okay. So if you look at this Hebrew word for helper, Ezer, it's usually God doing the helping in the Old Testament. So that word for helper is usually God helping, and in every single instance in the Pentateuch, it is related to God, except in this one. So being helper is not a negative thing. God is the helper of mankind. So the fact that woman is helping man is not in any way <clears throat> bad, just like we say God is somehow below us because he helps us, okay? In Genesis 2, there's really no implication of inferiority, inferiority in this. Um, suitable, usually means, it actually literally means like opposite him. So there are similarities and there are differences. And again, I don't want to go into the whole gender thing, but I do think there are two genders, male and female. Okay? But there's difference as well as similarity, so they complement each other. They help each other in a complementary way. Some things women bring to the relationship men don't have and vice versa. Okay? So they're complementary in that sense. When it says suitable, that's what sort of that word means. And this was, again, shockingly progressive in the ancient years for a view of women to be you know equal to man helpful so this is genesis 1 and 2 and then we get into the problem which was what most people first thought of so let's read this passage and again i want us to make observations on this someone want to read it for me yeah thank you okay now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the lord the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. 
But both they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, observations. Adam was with her. Okay, that's a he biggie. Could have stopped the whole thing. Adam, according to this, Adam was with her the whole time. Any evidence at all he did anything? Probably incorrect translation. <laughs> okay, Bill, you're going to be the difficult student today, clearly. Okay, so Adam was with her. No evidence that he spoke up or said anything. Maybe he was clueless, you know, but says he was there. What else? Other observations? Well, it shows that she was ambitious. Ambitious? <laughs> she wanted to have all this. Okay, so she saw the food was pleasing to the eye, desirable, gaining wisdom. I, I, I think she was gullible. Okay, there could be some of that. Adam was there as well. well it, she kind of misconstrued what God said because he said don't eat it, and she said don't even touch it. Right. So again, that, that goes back to my Genesis class, and we'll talk, we could talk about the serpent, we could talk about what does it be to, mean to be like God, because the issue was really they were wanting to be like God. That was the primary sin. Um, but I wanted to point out that every time you see you, 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 those are all the plural you. And we don't see that in English, but if this was written in Texas, it would say, y'all must not eat the fruit. And y'all may not touch it, y'all will die. <laughs> but in our translation, it just says you, which can appear singular. It's just talking to Eve. Which is why I think it's so, but it's actually, even without that statement who was with her, the y'all lets us know he was with her. But it's clearly stated right there. So here are some observations on this passage. First of all, the you is second person plural, basic y'all. We already said that. Adam was with her the whole time. And he says nothing, despite the fact he heard the command not to eat of the one tree directly from God. So he was the one that got the command. And he did not, there's no evidence that he... Whereas, at least she originally put up some resistance. Well, you know, eat from the, no, we were told we weren't supposed to. Now, she gave in really quickly, but there was a little bit of resistance there. Um, it would be sexist if the woman was portrayed negatively and the man was portrayed positively. That would be a sexist story. But they're both portrayed negatively in this, in my opinion. I think he was worse than her because well, of he course you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he never said anything. He never, uh, no he evidence he said anything. And later on when he was, but you know, that's just not true. Um, and when you go to the New Testament, Paul says sin came into the world through one man. So he blames Adam as well. So again, this story paints them both in a bad light. So it's not necessarily painting just the woman in bad light, which would be sexist. It's painting, we're all sinner, sort of bad light. Okay, let's look at the curses. So, as, I, as we read this, what curses do we see here? So, if someone want to read Genesis 3, we are now in. Rachel, thank you. <laughs> the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, or your desire shall be for your husband, NIV. But he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, observations. Okay, let's look at the curses. What's the curse for the serpent? Call on his belly, enmity between the woman and between your offspring. So sort of a perpetual enmity there. How about the woman? Pain and childbirth, someone's already mentioned that. Anything else? And again, I'm not sure about this statement because ESV says your desire will be contrary to your husband. NIV says your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. So I'm not, does anyone have a good interpretation of that? And I suspect it's just a Hebrew word that's not used very often. 
and it has multiple meanings and from the context it's not clear what to pick there. That's the way I interpret that. Because I really don't know and I don't want to spend any more time on that. So moving on. <laughs> Chris is for Adam. Okay, you shall not, okay. Ground is because of your pain you will eat, let's see. Curse is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. What else? Sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you turn the ground and so on. So which of these is longest? Clearly Adam. And in that culture, curses, the length of a curse was significant. So the fact that his is much longer is significant. Also, his is the only one that actually uses the word curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. This doesn't say cursed. And now again, it still seems like it's a consequence of what happened, but it's not called a curse. Um, okay, some observations on this passage. Literally, the curse, again, this is something the author said, and I'm going to state it and then read the sub-bullet, because I think that's critical. The curses are applicable only to the first woman and the first man. Surely I will, it doesn't say, surely I multiply your pain in childbirth and all the women after you. And it doesn't say to Adam, I'm going to make it hard and all the men after you have also this. So it's really directed to Adam. Well, the snake, it's sort of, and your offspring. The second two don't say that. Now, most interpreters reasonably assume that it also implies, because childbirth is very painful, so I'm told. So it, it seems like that has still... Well, we told it's like your comic cold, so I don't know. <laughs> so we, we still have to deal with thorns and thistles. Well, that's... We have to labor and work the ground. We'll get to that in bullet number three, okay? So <laughs> the, generally the curses carry on to future generations of males and females, but it is an interpretation to say that. But it's not an unreasonable interpretation. Also, this only applies to married women because you don't have childbirth if you're not married. Now, again, in that culture, and you don't have children, so that curse really doesn't apply to a, a single woman in that society because she's not going to be have the pain of childbirth. And it speaks of submission, but not oppression. And again, biblically, women are not the only ones who need to submit. We can look at the New Testament verses. It says submit to one another. Um, and here are some more observations. The man's curse was more severe than the woman's. Uh, her pain is limited to childbearing, but his pain, he says, all the days of his life. In Hebrew, again, 13 words versus 46 words is significant. A longer curse is a more serious curse. Uh, the woman receives a promise, but the man doesn't receive anything positive in this thing. The woman says her seed will eventually overcome the serpent. So there is sort of a positive aspect of that. And again, Genesis 3 is not the ideal. Genesis 1 and 2 was the way it was created and supposed to be. Genesis 3 is because of the fall. There are these enmity and consequences. And also, someone else mentioned, so to people who think women need to be ruled by men, you should ask them, what about epidurals for childbirth? Or combine harvesters, are those, you know, you're supposed to label with your hands, you cannot get a combine to help you with this. You're supposed to, and I think there are people that believe women should be in pain, so using an epidural would be wrong. And I don't think that's true, okay? So we can reduce the pain of childbirth, we have technology that helps us harvest crops, and we need to try to reconcile the sex. So these were all consequences of the fall at the time. But we've alleviated some of those today, right? In terms of childbirth, doesn't I mean it's still probably like a bad, bad cold. I don't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we have a lot of technology that helps us farm, really, really effective, <clears throat> right? So again, I, I don't think we want to put too much on those curses back then and say, well. We're going to take this, and this means you have to. You are under me. You are my slave. Well, I have to, you know, not agree with you on the woman and her pain if she has an epidural, because she has a lot of pain oh, of course. before that. Yeah. Of course, but it does, I'm told, help some at well, a certain time in the it process. Does. It's like having a combine that helps with the harvesting. Nowhere is work eliminated for men, people, mankind, to have to 
you know, are, were Adam and Eve in the garden. That's why they, they that's how they ate. Living. They could just go pick their food off the tree. They could enjoy everything, no thorns and thistles. Right. We still have to deal with all that because of what And I agree. No technology today takes away the pain of childbirth. A C-section, there's still pain. There's still associated with that. So I completely agree with you. I mean, when I gave birth, <laughs> you should see my wife's face when I say things like that. It's just priceless. I should have a little, you know, camera on her, <laughs> so you can see the eyes are rolling and the oh no. Okay, let's look at some other Old Testament stories. So that's people often go to early Genesis, and people say that those are sexist, and I don't think they are. How about Lot and his daughters? That's a story we read. Here's my summary, because I didn't read, want to read all of Genesis 18 and 19. God sends two angels to Sodom. Lot persuades them to come stay at his house. The men of the town want to assault, basically gang rape them. And Eddie talked about this in one of his previous classes. Lot suggests that the men take his two daughters instead, which is completely shocking. Um, so I think we can say Lot is clearly sexist, or women were clearly... Daughters were clearly not valued in that society. Um, since if they appear to be less valuable than the two strangers, no doubt about that. But that doesn't mean God condoned any of this. Okay, this is saying what Lot did. So observations, the text never affirms what Lot proposes. Okay, he never, and that's one of the things I like about the Bible. There's these really nasty stories of, about people that did really bad things and they're not sugar-coated. To me, that adds a sense of truth to it. But this isn't, and God said, way to go, Lot. You should sacrifice your daughters. No, doesn't say that. Um, and Lot is often brought up as a negative example if you look at this portion of Genesis. So he's not upheld as a super good role model throughout Genesis. The two angels act in a dramatic way to protect Lot's daughters. And the men of the city were punished initially and again, it could be the rape of the men or the daughters or just their whole actions. They were clearly punished for what they wanted to do. So God didn't condone any of this. But that is often used as an, well, the Bible is, is sexist because it's like, no, this is never condoned or said it's a good thing. Okay, how about this one? Some people claim the Bible teaches that women must marry her rapist. Has anyone heard this one? Don't know why. Well, here it is. <laughs> well, that's not because of David. Not because of David. But I, and did David rape Bathsheba or was she a willing person? And they, again, that's a whole other story. But, and that's it. That, I'll just give a plug for another book. It's called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. And it talks about how we tend to interpret stories from our Western eyes instead of the Eastern. The, we had a king who was controlling everything, and we misinterpret stories because, and this is one of the stories he talks about in that particular book. Okay, I need someone to read this section in Deuteronomy. If in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes... So this, rapes is the NIV, the other is ESV. <clears throat> ...her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor, because he met her in the open country, and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her and lies with her and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give to the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver, and she will be his wife because he has violated her. He may not divorce her all his days. Okay, so this first rape law or instruction is very progressive for the time. I mean, she is not guilty at all in this case. What's going on here? Any thoughts or comments? Well, the thing that jumps out to me is the underlying part of they are found. So if they're not found, it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest. And like yeah, so that gives some insight into what's happening here, this found. And also it's interesting that the, what they're translating this word, seizes, NIV translates it rape. Turns out this word is different in Hebrew. 
from up here to down here. It's a different Hebrew word, and we'll talk about that on the next slide. And so any possible interpretations, again, it's just saying you, she has to be his wife. She gets raped, and so she has to marry him. I think, I think I thought further on it said he doesn't want that to happen, and there's a way they don't, if the father rejects it. I think this says they get married. Maybe I didn't read further, but, but also I would, yeah. I just wonder, is this a cultural thing? Because, I mean, if the woman's been raped, whether it's her fault or not, she's basically damaged goods, and she wouldn't have a chance to get married to anybody else. So, in a way... It, in a way, it's awful, but it's protecting her. Yeah, because it does assure that she will have a man taking care of her. And he can't divorce her. Yeah. It's also a warning against, for a man not to commit a crime like this because you'll have to pay the consequences. And what if you don't want that woman as a wife? You have no choice. Okay. So is that clear prohibition? I wouldn't want to be that woman because he, how is he going to... Well, let's, let's first here and then we'll... And again, I really mean this. Just, just here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first one says if... She, if they're not found, then she's fine, right? So they're going to take her word for it, okay? That she was raped, and then the man's going to be punished by death, right? Okay, so they're going to take that woman's word. So the second part says that they are found. So they're, they're seeing her, and she's not saying, help me, help me, I'm being raped. So she's saying, I'm okay with this. Okay. Is how, I, how I, I'm like Which doesn't sound that. like rape necessarily it sounds like she was okay with it okay so let's look at the translation let's look at these words i mean i would see if something comes along and you're just like here we are and you're not like uh can you assist in this like okay <laughs> the first one it talks about how she cried for help but no one was to hear no. so there's the assumption she cried so, for help mm -hmm. so notice the word sees and again in niv i think rapes makes it much harsher harsher the word is actually sees or or uh I can't remember. Kidnapped. Not kidnapped. It's, it's seized or to grasp. Or. So in verse 25, it's different than verse 28. In verse 25, and this is from the Blue Letter Bible, seizes means forces. There is an implication of force there. Whereas in verse 28, seizes means takes. Um, but doesn't necessarily have anything to do with force. So that is so one interpretation is maybe it's rape, maybe it's statutory rape, maybe it's consensual sex outside of marriage. That it, because again, they were found out. Sounds like they were caught almost, and she's not screaming. So this could be more related to sex outside of marriage. The consequence. So that's one interpretation. Again, there's a lot of debate over this, but it does. There's definitely different words here, and it seems like. The first one is clearly talking about unconsensual forced sex. So we have this second one that's a little different. And so, like I said, is that the definite explanation? Like, I don't know, but that I think is a plausible explanation for this. There is also, and again, the previous verses, and now let's get to the cultural thing, a part of it, because there's also, we need to understand the culture at the time. And again, this seems shocking to us, but a woman who's not a virgin was unable to marry. Um, if she had been shamed by being raped, um, which was the primary women achieved security in that culture. So the law appears sexist to us, is attempting to correct a sexist problem in that society. Marriage would have given her security. She can't be divorced. So again, it, I'm, I'm not... It's, it's a very different culture than ours. So, priority is painting women to begin with. She, well, again, if she would be considered that mm -hmm. if she had been known to be raped and she would be shamed and no one would marry her. So it sort of protects her. And also there is that, it may have been just sex outside of marriage. It's unclear. There's some ambiguity here. Um, there is an example in the Old Testament of a victimized woman, Tamar, who said she wanted to marry her rapist rather than be sent away. So, and again, it's like, why would you want to, this man raped you? Why would you want to, I don't get it. But again, she doesn't get shamed if she marries him, whereas if she's sent away, she's shamed. 
<laughs> so again, it was an honor-shame culture, which is very different than our culture right now. So Old Testament laws generally were quite progressive. For example, Assyrian law concerning theft had harsher penalties for women than for men. Exact same crime, women were punished harsher. So again, in general, that was more of ancient Near East. Women had less status, they were punished harsher, there were more consequences. Okay. If God or the Bible is sexist, there would not be positive portrayals of women in the Bible. And there are lots of positive portrayals of women. So, if you look at the Old Testament, women are usually portrayed positively four times as often as they're portrayed negatively. Now, there's a combination of both, right? What are some negative examples of women? First one that comes to mind. Jezebel. <laughs> positive examples of women. Deborah, Esther. Deborah, Esther, Ruth. Ruth. Fantastic. There's lots of positive examples, and there are negative ones as well. So Deborah was a judge, which was basically the ruler. Okay, At the time, they didn't have a king, but the judges were the ruler and prophets. So she was a prophet. She was the spiritual leader of the country. There's also examples in Samuel of wise women confronting leaders and changing their minds. So Abigail risked her life to persuade David. So again, he's listening to this woman to change his mind. That's a sort of high opinion of women. Uh, wise women of Abel persuaded Joab to cease the siege of the city. Um, and then clearly we have Ruth, ancestor of David. We have Esther. Um, lots of good examples. And again, if the Bible were sexist or if God was sexist, you wouldn't see these positive examples, I would claim. Okay, how about the New Testament? New Testament, we see a very, Jesus in particular, has a very positive view of women. Um, in Jesus' day, men typically did not speak to women in public. And we see that in the Middle East now sometimes. But Jesus did regularly. In John 4.27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, saying that was not a common thing. They were surprised to find it. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Uh, Mary, the sister Martha, was affirmed by Jesus for acting like a man and sitting at the feet of the rabbi to learn. That was not something women did, but she's not condemned for it. She's praised for it. Uh, the poor widow who gave everything is praised as an example of generosity. The woman who anointed his feet with a expensive perfume. And Mark says, truly I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her really positive portrayals of women in the New Testament. Okay, any questions, comments? Yeah. Mark, <coughs> excuse me, last night we were uh, studying Mark and it talks about um, <coughs> Jesus' mother and his brothers and sisters coming to visit him and Jesus said, who is my mother? And to me that was very harsh having been a mother or having a, a being a mother and my child say who are you any comments rachel yes discussion was that we don't know it's kind of like text messages today we don't know the tone in which jesus spoke that it just says he said he asked the question who is my mother, who are my brothers and sisters. So we don't know the tone that he used. And it, it could have been harsh, because we kind of tend to, as mothers, we kind of tend to read it that way. But What comes to mind for me is on the cross, he told John to take care of his mother. So I don't think he was rejecting his mother. I was just thinking he was elevating the brothers and sisters. The people there were, were family. his family. That's right. And in a collectivist culture, that's really important. Yeah, I, just kind of backing that up, I think he was saying that people that are of the kingdom, so to speak, are family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, which is, I think we take that very sort of for granted, but back in that culture, family was everything. Family was your well, identity and who you were. priority, too. You know, it didn't say anything about not loving your parents, but to love God first. I mean, that was priority. And that's, that's ours today. You know, we don't love our mothers any less, but God comes first. Yep. So. Well, at this point, I wanted to share a video that I found that I thought was pretty good. So I will share that with you. Hopefully the sound works.
please. Quick Christians to answer difficult questions about faith and culture. If you like what would you say, a free way to support us is by hitting that subscribe button. If you want to see more videos about the Bible, hit the like button. You're in a conversation and someone says, the Bible is sexist and is oppressive to women. What would you say? Many modern day feminists believe that not only is Christianity outdated in its views of women, but that the Bible is largely to blame for patriarchal oppression. But the next time someone says the Bible is sexist, here are three things to remember. Number one, the equality of the sexes is a biblical ideology, not a naturalistic one. Naturalists believe that everything comes from natural causes and consists of natural properties, meaning that there's no such thing as supernatural beings like God. Many feminists fall into this category, but fail to realize that their philosophy doesn't offer any basis for gender equality. According to naturalism, human beings have no intrinsic value because our lives are simply evolutionary accidents. Consequently, naturalists have no basis for claiming gender equality, or frankly, any human rights. After all, if the name of the game is survival of the fittest, then why shouldn't we say that might makes right, or that is every man for himself? The Bible, however, tells a radically different story from the very first page. In Genesis 1, it says, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. According to Christianity, not only are both men and women made by God, but they are made in the likeness of God. Those who claim to be too feminist for Christianity fail to recognize that the equality they long for is grounded in the very God that they reject. This statement in Genesis of gender equality is unparalleled in the ancient world, and its implications are profound. No other system of belief provides the same foundation for gender dignity and gender equality. Number two, the God of the Bible isn't sexist. People are. As an ancient record detailing both the highs and extreme lows of human behavior, the Bible includes genuinely distressing accounts of rape, polygamy, incest, and other forms of female oppression. The purpose of these texts, however, is not to commend, but to condemn this sexist, appalling behavior. The key to making sense of challenging passages is to recognize when a text is being prescriptive or giving instruction, and when it's being descriptive or reporting what happened. If a text is prescriptive, such as in certain law codes relating to women, we need to ask the follow-up question, what is this law protecting? No matter how strange the text may first appear to us, time and again what becomes clear when we take into account the cultural norms of the time is that laws which initially seem oppressive for women were in fact put in place for their protection. If you're interested, a more in-depth discussion of this challenging topic can be found in Paul Kirkland's book, Is God a Moral Monster? Number three, Jesus sets the standard for how women should be treated. Jesus was extraordinarily countercultural in his treatment of women. At that time in the ancient world, women were seen as second-class citizens and inferior to men, despite the protective biblical mandates. The education of women was extremely limited, and they were often confined to domestic duties. They weren't even allowed to testify in court. This was the world that Jesus grew up in, which makes his own attitude towards women even more surprising. For instance, in the culture Jesus lived in, promiscuity was blamed not on the actions of the man, but on the woman who led him astray. Jesus, however, turned these cultural assumptions upside down saying that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. By demanding that his hearers take responsibility for their own lust, Jesus called them to a higher standard of seeing women not as sexual objects, but as human beings equally made in the image of God. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus consistently lived out the radical welcome, which came to define the approach of the early church in their countercultural treatment of women. The Apostle Paul, instructing the early Christians, said that according to the kingdom of Jesus, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the next time someone tells you that the Bible is sexist, 
Remember these three things. Number one, the equality of the sexes is a biblical ideology, not a naturalistic one. Number two, the God of the Bible isn't sexist, people are. Number three, Jesus sets the standard for how women should be treated. Or what would you say, I am Rose McIntyre? Okay, I thought it was a good short summary. So when I she find short, <laughs> I will try to share those with you because I thought it was good. Uh, so in conclusion, I don't think the Bible portrays God as sexist in any way. Um, scriptures that critics claim are sexist are usually taken out of their cultural context, just like she was saying. Old Testament laws in Jesus were progressive in their treatment of women compared to the culture at the time. And we need to remember their culture really was quite different. So we have to be careful about bringing our norms of behavior or whatever in interpreting those. So bottom line, in the Bible, God is highly affirming of women, making them in his image, selecting a woman to be the spiritual leader. Over and over we see that. Yes? Thank you. Look at Proverbs 31, and you look at a woman that's very... It's very affirming. Absolutely. And again, I obviously this is not a comprehensive view of women in the Bible, but that's a great example. Anyone else? Other comments? So I have one last slide, I think. Did it disappear? Did Rachel make me delete it? <laughs> okay. So here is the slide I we didn't discuss. I skipped it. So instead of blaming the Old Testament or God, is it possible that we need to blame sexism on our society? And has the church potentially sometimes been to blame? Any thoughts? I, I hear not. Do you have examples? I have one blatant example that was just in the news recently where a preacher was fired because he said, um, if you rape anyone, it should be your wife. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much what the response ought to be. <laughs> and that, and the fact he got fired didn't, you know, that was a paragraph 14, but it was like, this is what the Bible believes, this is what Christians believe, is that husbands can rape their wives. It's like, no, there was a, he got fired for saying something like this. And he was talking about the passage on submission, and I didn't hear the whole sermon, so I always want to be careful because the next sentence he may have said, and that's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. <laughs> but I don't know because I haven't heard the whole sermon. But he was fired for making that statement. I saw a hand. Yeah, Mike. So uh, I believe in America. I believe in our freedom. But I also believe that our and I'm not a cultural historical expert on on women throughout history. But I think that our freedom in this country has really paved the way for us to say that the Bible is sexist or you know whatever because we're we've create we're we're creating our own heaven here right and and we're trying to do it in the, the rest of the world but America's been really a, a front runner for that I would say and um, we're trying to create our own heaven we're trying to get rid of all the things that make life stink and. Um, you know, we're we're basically playing God in many ways, and I don't I don't think most of us realize it. But the 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 cultural standards I think are are somewhat irrelevant because I'm not saying we should be just like they were 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or whatever time. But I do think that we should be um, you know very aware of of how we should be and not say stuff like you know the, the Bible sickness and things like that because. God gave us that word as instruction or what have you to say. This is how I want you to live. And I think that's where it quite frankly ends. Other comments? Yes. I, I know that Paul, as the Apostle Paul, is considered frequently to be very that, sexist and misogynistic and so forth. But I find it quite interesting that in the last chapter of Romans, he says, Thank you to a lot of people, and about half of them are women. Yeah, absolutely. And there's an interesting book on Paul and how he was misinterpreted. Oh, but, yes? So the previous slide you had up with regards to them blaming that statement to me, 
the way it strikes me is we just need to stop blaming other people in general. We need to go back to scripture because God gives us the roadmap of how we're to conduct ourselves individually. I think we're too focused as a society on blaming other people instead of owning our own stuff. Okay. I think in general that's true. That's just a general life statement. Any other comments? Yeah. So my limited reading about this topic, which is very limited, <laughs> the women wanting to vote had a big impact on the way women were treated in that period of time and following. Before that period of time, women were, even in Churches of Christ, had bigger roles that they could play acceptably. But then that voting thing, there was a lot of preachers that would say, and people believed what preachers said back then, <laughs> and they would say very negative things about women in order to try to keep them from voting. Interesting. I didn't know that history. Um, next week we'll talk about racism. And again, one of the reasons people accuse the Bible of being racist is a lot of preachers in the South use biblical passages to support racism before the Civil War. And so naturally, you know, the Bible is racist because these preachers were using it to support slavery. Which, no, it doesn't mean they were right, but that is an accusation. And then we do have passages. Another one, there were several other ones that Rachel said that I couldn't share, but one that I can share. You know, the Bible says women should be silent. That's sexist. Mm -hmm. And Eddie's had classes on that. And understanding the context and the culture is critically important. So that one passage, I don't know if it's First Corinthians, where it says, you know, women should be silent and when they get home should ask their husbands. And one of the commentaries I read on that was, you know, Corinthian, Corinth was a very cosmopolitan city where they spoke a lot of languages, but the women didn't necessarily speak the language that they would be preaching in. So they would potentially be disrupted. What have you said? What do you mean? And they say, be, be quiet. And your husband can explain it later because he may speak the language that they're giving the sermon in. But they were being disruptive. It wasn't because early on we say, you know, when they prophesied, like, so clearly there was teaching. It was more of a something was happening in that church that was disruptive. But if you just read that, women should be silent. Okay, that's sexist. But it's not understanding the culture or what was happening. And that's just one example. Any other final comments, questions on this? So is God sexist? No. And actually, that's pretty much the answer to all of these. So I hope you come back. <laughs> but I'm going to try to make the case that no, he's not sexist, he's not angry, he's also not a racist. Um, any final comments, questions? Again, if you would like my slides, I have about 11 people who have signed up. I'm happy to send them to you. I try to send them before class, but I think I failed today. Did anyone get slides? I tried to send them, but they may not have gone out. Okay. So I will send them after class if you want them. So appreciate everyone coming and hope you have a blessed rest of the week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.